0: Welcome to the Being the Change podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Vanderveer, here with your other host, Isabel Kiyosean. We're the founders of Meditation Without Borders, and today we have a very special guest. This is Tracy Stanley. This is her second time on our podcast because we can't get enough. (laughs) 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 And we are so excited to be talking about her new book, The Luminous Self, Sacred Yogic Practices and Rituals to Remember Who You Are. And oh. it comes out in October, correct?
1: That's right. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be with you both again. <laughs> Yay!
0: Yay! We're so excited. <laughs> um we both uh gobbled this book up. It, it is so fantastic. Um and we have so many notes. So we, we're just gonna dive right in. Um I, I one of the pieces that that seems to the word that um that comes out and it's in your subtitle is ritual. Hmm. And it was really fascinating to me to think about everything we do as a ritual, even those unconscious behaviors. So I was wondering if you could open a little bit and talk about rituals and talk about how this idea of rituals might have led to this book.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I think we can all, when we really think about it, think about the fact that we have rituals that we do day in and day out their ritual of brushing your teeth, taking a shower every morning. That's a ritual. That's something that we do intentionally. Maybe we don't have any sacred rituals, but we're doing rituals. And we're also doing unconscious rituals, right? And so the idea of waking up in the morning and scrolling as the first thing that you do on your Instagram feed, that's a ritual, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that if we want to think about life as a sacred ritual, if we wanna be able to weave our practices and our devotion throughout our days, that we have to become more intentional with the things that we do and why we do them. Because a ritual is really meant to mark a moment in time when you take a pause, you do something intentionally to create an effect or an opening for something new to emerge. And so the reason why ritual to me is so important and why it's in the book and why I share rituals in the book is because I feel like one of the things that we don't really have a lot in our Western culture are sacred rituals, rites of passage. Those, A lot of those things, and I can speak for myself and my own ancestry, have been lost. And so it's really important for us to be able to create them A lot of times in spiritual practices and in lineages, we might receive a a ritual, and then we might do that ritual over and over again. But for those of us who don't have the background or the foundation of a lineage, it really is important for us to decide what's important for us. How can we create life as a ritual from the moment we wake up to the moment that we go to sleep, knowing that. There's a place that we want to get to, hopefully, which is not like something to achieve, but something to realize, something that is going to maybe be revealed by the rituals that we do, and that hopefully these rituals bring us closer to the truth of who we are and further away from who we're not.
0: That's so beautiful. I'm already tearing up. <laughs> <laughs> um, j- just thinking about, I think the part that got me a little weepy is thinking about the, the rituals that have been lost, you know, the, the rituals mm-hmm. that have been taken from people, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, the, the processes of colonization that have to disempower entire populations involved the, you um, the destruction of ritual. And that so much strength comes from this place. Um, I think about, you know, Isabel and I, when we teach our, our meditation practice to people, we always have it, we do a puja ceremony because we're part of a lineage and that's part of the, the wow. um, what we do. And, and it, so we begin with a ritual and many of our students, it's always interesting to observe the range of responses to that ritual. Yeah, because they don't understand it. They're walking into the unknown. Some people are very sheepish, but some will just start crying. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. They don't even know what we're saying because we're singing in Sanskrit, but they just start crying. And I, I, I feel like what you're saying here resonates with that because it's it's that loss of that that sacred ritual that that we all feel feel the lack of, and and bringing back just these moments, like you say, these moments of returning to the self. Um, is is something so simple to do. And you provide so many beautiful ways of doing that. I, I'm curious about some of the practices because even some of them, even reading them, you didn't even have to do them, just reading, like the one of, of like going from your left ear to your right ear and, and going to all those moments of peace. I was literally like, <laughs> like starting to to choke up just thinking about someone doing that, much <laughs> after <laughs> <laughs> I was like, did, it, uh, did they come to you? Are these things you've done for years or did you cognize them for this book? That is
1: also a wonderful question. So these are practices that I've done over years. Um, and there are some that were things that kind of came through, and mm-hmm. but most of them, and I try to refer back in the back matter of the book of where they came from or where you can get more resources from. That particular practice that you're talking about, the timeline practice, was a practice that I did um, probably 29 years ago um, with a body worker. Mm. And we were working on um, the aspect of shame. And it was a very powerful practice. And then as I continued in my yogic studies, um, which was like a year later, I started really diving into yoga. I started to understand that, oh, this practice that she did with me is a practice of vichara. It is Mm. a practice of going back in time to deliberate the source of something. And then later I was given a different kind of practice around vichara, but it was still related to this idea of the timeline.
0: Could you... Yeah. Because some people haven't, or actually no one's read the book yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's um, let's do this practice real quick.
1: Yeah. So the timeline practice is a way for you. And in the book, I use the, the aspect of peace because it is um, maybe a little bit easier for us to think about and contemplate moments when we experience peace before we go into something that's maybe a little bit less comfortable to to think about. And so the, the practice is really simple. You kind of close your eyes and you visualize that the inside of your head is empty. The space inside of your head is empty. It's like a void space. But you feel and sense that there's a line that runs from the left ear all the way to the right ear. The right ear is the moment that we're in right now, this present moment. And then the left ear is the moment that you were born. And so this line kind of represents the timeline of your life. And if we want to think about for a moment, when was the last time that you felt a moment of deep abiding peace? And just allow yourself to go back in time on the time timeline to remember that moment, see it like it's in a snapshot, and then let that go and go back to the time before that. And then the time before that. And then you continue all the way down to the timeline, to the moment that you can remember the very first time that you felt this feeling of deep abiding peace. And so what we learned from that practice is we we receive information Maybe we receive the information that, oh, being in nature brings me this feeling of deep abiding peace, or maybe there's a specific person that I'm around, but it gives you information to, when I want to bring myself into this place of peace or I want to encounter peace, maybe there's something in this timeline practice that's a theme that comes up over and over again that can give me information about what it means for me to be deeply abiding in peace. And we can use that same practice when we think about some of the uncomfortable things in life as well.
2: That is yeah. so, so <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, this It's more, more of a personal question, but I'm very curious about your creative process, like how the ideas come about did you feel the need of the time like people need this because I was telling Kristen before you logged in um but I've been having a rough time recently and um I had me me both me and Kristen had separate retreats but on the same date which is funny accidentally that happened um and then I came back and I was still feeling very rough and I got your book, I started reading it, and just even the introduction, like something clicked. And from that moment, I'm getting teary-eyed just thinking about it, I've been feeling so much better. And I think it's not just, I mean, your book is so beautiful, but I can truly feel your essence in the book. And your state of consciousness, how it's really helping everybody who will get their hands on this beautiful
1: book. So I was just curious about how everything came about. Mm. So it's an interesting thing. I was working on this book and had completed the book proposal way before Radiant Rest came into being. Mm. And at that time, I felt like, oh, I want to share tools that will help people to really activate themselves to their highest potential, right? Then I had started sending out this book proposal. I was getting really good feedback. And then I got a call from Shambhala or an email really from Shambhala asking if I was interested in writing a book on yoga nidra. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not interested in writing a book on yoga nidra. There's all these other books on yoga nidra. And plus, I'm working on this other thing. And that next weekend, um, I started to get people asking me, do you have a book on yoga nidra? Because I had just done a yoga nidra workshop. And I had to pause and say, okay, this is the first time that this has ever happened, that I've had five to seven people asking me if I have a book on yoga nidra a week after Shambhala is asking me, I have to listen to this because this is, I believe the universe basically pointing and saying, here's the direction you need to go. So in going in that direction, and then also having the book come out during the pandemic, when we were all in lockdown and also realizing how exhausted we all were Right, we had had time to realize that that was the perfect timing. So when I started to come back to this, um, to this new this work, the luminous self, and I looked at, you know, I sat down with the book proposal because I'm now ready. And I was like, oh, I wasn't ready to release this. There's also things in the world that are happening now. So much polarity, so much loneliness so much just not feeling whole, which is a lot, and, or feeling worthy, still being exhausted. These are the things that this book is addressing, but there also needs to be an added layer of my vulnerability, which is the personal stories that are shared in the way that they are shared in the book, that I think something um over the pandemic time tenderized something also in me to be open to sharing in the way that I'm sharing, which I think helps underpin how the practices work and how they can work in your life as opposed to just reading it perhaps in a different kind of text. So I think it's divine timing is number one to your answer to your question. And I think the other thing is that I feel as though I'm listening, you know, I'm deeply listening to what needs to come through. i still rest and write. And I also am in this place of remembering what are the practices that have helped me the most? What are the practices that were like a bolt of lightning that created transformation when I did them over time as a sadhana? What are the practices that I've given to students over many years that have, where I have seen, or they have told me this practice changed my life? So if I had to put all of these in a little box for the future, for someone, these would be the practices that are in the book.
0: The, um. What's interesting is your book, Radiant Rest, is now the book on yoga because <laughs> yeah. it is literally everywhere. Um, and every time I see it, I'm like, I have a little moment of like, I know her. <laughs> 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 but this book it has it's 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 another step. You know, it's it's the the personal stories especially where you you really open up to your own story and then you weave it in with the definitions and the yoga sutras it's the, the weaving in this book is of a sophistication that is of another level and um i think it was the when you're opening stories where you talk about being hit with the eggs that for me i i found it so touching and relatable and it was it was good as well, because, you know, the, the when I see you now, it was, you're like this goddess, you know, <laughs> like, that seems almost like beyond, you know, what someone might think, oh, well, these work for her, but they're not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. So, so when you put that story in there of, of being hit as a child, and, and, you know, as a mom reading that book, it was really hard, but being hit in the chi- as a child and getting the egg in your hair and having to go to school like that, um, just completely dissolved any of that. And just, it just, I felt so connected to you through the rest of the, of the story as this is a, a real, your humanity was out there. And, and so when talking about divinity, the fact that you opened up your hum- humanity made it that much more, gave it that contrast that made it that much more palatable and and able to, um, you know, let it soak in. So, uh, thank you for opening yourself up in this book because it it's it, it I, I found it to be um an emotional read you
1: know? mm-hmm. yeah,
0: <laughs> Much more absolutely. So. Yeah. yeah
1: thank you thank you for sharing that and your experience of reading it um because it was very clear to me that I needed to share that story and share the evolution also of my transformation through the practices Mm -hmm. and because it's what we it's what i see and it's also what we know is that how these things shape us and it's really hard to get out of the box of that shape when something happens to you that makes you uh, want to be small or be fearful of success or any of the things so i appreciate your reflection
0: I love too how you 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 told that story as like you know this is the sanskara that has such a deep impression and can and can make you feel small. But then you you turn it around and say you know that which makes you fall makes you rise. Mm-hmm. And then you also show the flip side of that that these 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 moments that we think are holding us back are really propelling us and footholds for our own growth. And the fact that you yeah. show how you alchemized these things in your life through these practices um, I think gives the book so much hope You know, for people who feel like they're still stuck in that samskara space.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, that's an essential teaching in many traditions, right? It's like the, the crack is where the light comes through. This idea of discomfort is the portal to your healing. And it's sometimes the very thing that we want to avoid right? Whether it's because we don't have the support or we don't have the practices or we don't have the trust or the faith that it's even possible. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted people to be able to see through my lens that it absolutely is possible.
0: Mm -hmm. And you take the, this one day, I don't know, it was occurring to me as we were reading this, but that, um, (laughs) to do a book on the yoga sutras (laughs) because you really really take them and make them talk about making them relatable. You know, I've, I've read the sutras, but I've, and I've read books about the sutras, but I've never read anyone who quite gets the essence of them in such a practical way. Mm.
1: I appreciate that because it was really the, my first reading of a translation of the yoga sutras that shifted my whole trajectory of spiritual practice from a mostly asana based kind of power yoga vinyasa practice to wanting to find a teacher i didn't know anything about lineage at the time but wanting to find a teacher who could guide me towards the promise of the yoga sutras and i think that you know I probably understand one one thousandth of what's in the yoga sutras, right? Because it's like a thousand lifetime practice. (laughs) But at the same time, what I I do know is that all the translations that I have read and all the study that I have done, it's very rare that someone who's teaching about the yoga sutras is relating it to life today where they give examples from their own life Right. right. And right. I think a lot of that can happen in hierarchical structure of teaching and patriarchal structure of teaching where the teacher somehow doesn't want to seem flawed in some way. Right. And so it's yeah. like, let's just get this out here because these are things that happen. We all have relationship breakups. We all have businesses that are about to fail. We all have these scary moments where we're going to transition from the job, the dream job to maybe doing something that's really our soul's calling and we're afraid that we're gonna go bankrupt and right <laughs> anyway, and you're laughing it sounds it seems like you you can identify with this
0: I'm laughing because I'm remembering that fantastic part of the book where I literally laughed out loud when you took your your ex-boyfriend's name and your phone and you changed his name to be compassionate yeah I had to <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it,
1: so you know? <laughs> and, and I think that that's like, you know, when we hear these types of practices, cultivate the opposite, Praptipaksha Bhavana, it sounds on an intellectual level. It's like, oh, okay, I think I can understand that. But I think when life really becomes a ritual and when life really becomes yoga is for me, was that one of those moments where I was like, Oh, I need to cultivate the opposite because this feeling of aversion that I have to this person right now, and even just seeing their name or hearing their voice, I have to do something about this. (laughs) (laughs) And the yoga sutras has, you know, all the recipes for so many things in life. Mm
2: -hmm. That's one of the things that I, that I really enjoyed because when I've read in the past, spiritual books, you you get it. Like it's okay in theory. The this sounds great, but you're actually helping people put it into action, and mm-hmm. actually ground themselves, and actually experience it. And and as Kristen was saying, you're such an inspiration because you're you're showing them how you showing everybody how you got there. So it just works on so so many levels and it actually does get to you. It's not something that you understand until you're like, "Oh, okay, I close the book and I forget all about it." It's the rituals that stay with you as well. It's so so amazing.
0: And mm-hmm. that so Thank many you. of these rituals are are internal. Yeah, that's why another thing I love about this book is it, is this is all you're dealing with the relationship with the self and, and that these little moments of, you know, even changing your boyfriend's name, that's, that was a little moment you had within yourself, a recognition of, 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 wow, this is where I'm going to go <laughs> off the path <laughs> and how you just make these little adjustments, you know, throughout your day, you know, reframing and reframing and becoming the witness and all these, um, like you said, you're making your life yoga and, um, even mm when you talk about obstacles, I love how all the obstacles, I mean, you're listing the, you know, the, the obstacles like dullness and, um, and, uh, you know, they're they're internal obstacles. It's, we're not, we're not in this world of, you know, manifestation where it's all about the things on the outside and the obstacles are on the outside. Everything in this book is really, you know, you, you and your relationship with yourself.
1: Yeah. And I think that, when we are in these types of practices, they help to strengthen our remembering. You know, you you brought up earlier in the conversation about people doing puja. And it's interesting because in the lineage that I was, um, I'll say raised in is, and not as a child, but as an adult, <laughs> um, most of the rituals that we were doing <clears throat> and pujas that we first learned were internal pujas. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it was like, you know, you're visualizing the, the going to the temple and you're visualizing going to the altar space and lighting the incense and connecting with whatever energy you're connecting with. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the first times that I went to India um, when I was walking along the Ganga, there was a, a memory of, oh, here's this internal puja meditation that I would have been doing for, for decades. And this is like the externalized version of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of took myself, I didn't get into the Ganga, but I kind of took myself through like the imagining of, you know, what that practice was. And it was like, oh, this is so interesting because there, it, it feel this not only feels like I'm remembering the meditation, but it also feels like I'm remembering something that my ancestors did, right, on a different continent. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I really feel like this idea of um, internal practice is a strengthening of the remembering, because we have so much beautiful memory from our spiritual lineages, from our ancestral lineages that lives in our DNA. And so when I'm, this is going back to your question Isabel, of my process is that I think that when we're in a place of deep rest and deep listening, that that remembering rises to the surface as well. And that is also something that can come forward in a creative process.
0: This brings up another part of the book that had me weepy. (laughs) I did not think that this was gonna be a book that I was going to be crying at, but it apparently was, was, um, you know, when you talk about the elements and um, our connection to the elements and, you know, i've just did a retreat that was all it was all um on the feminine and so i think about the feminine is really because she's prakriti you know that there's so much healing that comes from connecting with elements i think about draupadi in Mahabharata when she you know she's she's about to be brutalized and she calls out to surya to come for her so we have this innate ability to connect with the elements for healing and you you describe something that had never occurred to me before, but that how, when peoples have been separated from their ancestral homelands, how that that trauma can live within us as separate, as um, se- feeling a, a trauma with nature, going into mm-hmm. nature and feeling that separation from nature, um, or that feeling of trauma with the connection with water those ancestors mm-hmm. who have um who were slaves who came were forced to come over such a large body of water and I just think I can hardly even get it out now to think about um something as fundamental as our separation as, as our as our connection with nature being traumatized in a way um and how these rituals can help restore that mm-hmm. connection which is so healing for everyone so um yeah, the, the the ancestral you 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 talk about ancestors frequently in this book. So I would love to hear more.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So two two threads that I'm I'm feeling into. The first thread is around nature, right? And the elements. And and we have to realize that whether we're aware that we have trauma in our backgrounds, which could be just in from this lifetime like I I was brought up in a family that was like, don't go into the woods. the woods are dangerous. don't go back into the like garden space, you know from the previous neighbors because there's snakes back there. And so I had to really reclaim a connection with nature, right um, because it was a scary place and it can be very scary for many people. And at the same time, the industrialized culture wants us to be disconnected from nature. Because, you know, when we think about this idea of returning to our true nature, our, our true nature is not separate from nature. But the more that we are separated from it, the more we're separated from ourselves. And so, what I love is the teachings of Tantra that really tell us as above, so below. What is in the macrocosm is in the microcosm, that there is a universe inside of us. There's the sun, there's a the moon. And we know these things when we learn about Ida and Pingala and Shushimna and the chakras and the elements. But I don't think a lot of times that it's actually, um, there's not a bridge to the actual environment that we live in a lot of times. It feels like it's kept very separate as though here's the practice and here are the elements. And we're not even doing these practices in a natural environment. Most of the time, we're doing them inside of the yoga studio. And so I think we have to look at both of those things. What, what is our possible ancestral trauma around nature? What is our own separation from nature? And how can we start to basically come back to nature, not in an extractive way, because that's the way that we've been raised in Western culture is that nature is there for our pleasure. Mm-hmm. It, there's not a reciprocal relationship with nature.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And once we're in that reciprocity with nature, then that's when the healing starts to begin.
0: One of your exercises was the, um, the tree, I believe.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the connected roots.
0: Yeah, would you describe that one? Because that was one of my favorites.
1: Yeah, the connected roots. So, this is one of those practices that came through. You asked about the cognizing, right? Mm-hmm. And so, some years ago, I was watching a TED talk, and I cannot remember who the doctor was, but um, maybe we can put it in the show notes. But it was a tech, uh, a, a doctor who was talking about the connection of the forest and how the roots grow and how basically all of the trees in the forest, even from in very long distances are connected. And if there's one tree that is ill, all the other trees will start to send their nutrients to that tree to try to heal that tree. And when I heard that, I just thought about this idea of community And that if we really knew that we were all connected, how healed the world would be. And so this connected roots practice is really a practice where you are visualizing yourself as a tree with these roots that reach down into the earth and are able to receive sustenance, but at the same time to give sustenance. So it is a reciprocal relationship, not only with all the other beings that are in our environment, but all the other people, humans and more than humans that are in our environment. And I really feel like that practice um, is something that connects us to our natural mantra of Soham. It connects us to the earth and it also connects us in a way where we're not just taking from the earth because a lot of times we'll we'll have meditations where it's kind of like oh we're inhaling all the strength and the stability but we're not offering anything back out and so this is a way for us to internalize again i think maybe because you know the all of these internal rituals that i received but there's a way to that internalizes. And then when you go out into the world and you see that amazing, beautiful tree that you want to hug or you want to sit next to, this meditation might come back to you where you feel like you can be one of those other trees with your roots and have a new, different experience in your environment,
0: if that makes sense. that mm. does make sense. It's beautiful. And I so much of... What, um I was thinking about your book was coming through as you're describing it, where I think all that you've you've received in order to create this book is your you're giving it <laughs> back through this book. <laughs> <in some> <laughs> <way>. <laughs> that um and and just the, the the remembering that that yoga is reciprocal, that everything is reciprocal, that if we want if we want to receive, we have to give. And that that this is not self care is is big self care, and so to care for ourselves, we have to care for our environment. Um, um, so it's I, I I loved that particular um, exercise as well because I felt like that was one you could do almost on the go. You know. Yes, yes,
1: you can yeah. do it on the spot for sure.
0: So so
2: lovely. It's just just hearing you speak makes me enter into transcendence <laughs> <laughs> which is exactly what happened when I started reading your book as I was saying before. It 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 was the words, but it was as you know Kristen was saying, you really are giving back because your essence is there. And your essence is so cosmic that it's so healing. It really was, I appreciate that. Such a powerful experience, just reading it and something clicked in me. And it was
0: like, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> I loved You know, you, you make the point in there that, that yoga is not a feel good practice.
1: Yeah, that's a quote from Indu Mm Aurora. Yoga is not a feel-good practice; it's a face the truth practice, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) and that that is a very sharp, you know, (laughs) sword. But it but it's true. Um, You know, certainly when I first started practicing yoga, it was like, oh, I want to feel better, I want to look better, I want to be stronger, I want to be more peaceful, and then when I started reading that first translation of the yoga sutras, it was like, oh, there's a place in me that's beyond all sorrow. Mm -hmm. Then that means that there's sorrow that I'm not acknowledging that I'm somehow, I didn't have this word at the time, but basically I'm bypassing the sorrow so that I can be in the feel good. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to reach these levels, which, Now I know there's many lifetimes, (laughs) hopefully at some point. But this idea of samadhi, this place this this essence or, or place that it feels like peace beyond words, you know, we get little slivers of that in our practice. And I think that's what inspires us to just keep practicing and keep being devoted to our practice in a way. And I do feel like the underpinning of this offering is really around bhakti mm-hmm. even though i don't really talk about it it's really about how are we devoted not only to ourselves to our community to our practice yeah.
0: that um it made me think about how you know like you said most people come to yoga thinking like i just want to feel better i just want to you know i just want to be less stressed they come to meditation as well this way they're like just just I don't want insomnia anymore, <laughs> right. simple things. And what this, this book is doing is it's, it's the next level. There's nothing wrong with that, how people come, mm-hmm. but it's graduation. It's the graduation into to wait, this is bigger. This is much bigger than the yoga studio. And, um, I think the, the fact that you are, you know, you took and you dredged these, these examples from your life into the book, um, you know another one that that was poignant to me was how you talked about closing your yoga studio. Mm-hmm. A powerful moment that was that you know, shattered everything, right? <laughs> like you you, <laughs> you were just left with your core self because it was it was all the things that had to fall away in that yeah. moment. Um yeah. But it it was it was you showing that 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 was yoga, right? That 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 was yoga in that moment even what felt like the fall, you know, a big fall. That was, that was a huge upgrade for your state of consciousness.
1: Absolutely, and, and the, the upgrade came, and, and this is one of the reasons why I feel like this book is really a sister book to Radiant Rest, mm-hmm. because these are realizations that can come more easily when we've been tenderized by the nectar of rest. Right, that these yeah. things kind of bubble to the surface. But it was the pause that I took in reflecting like everything feels like it's falling apart in all aspects of life. I could have just gone with the falling apart, but for whatever reason, because I had this yoga nidra practice, I was able to pause into that and see oh, this is the kleshas here in 3D. <laughs> that you know <laughs> so now is the time that i get to work with the kleshas not just when i'm sitting in the yoga studio talking about the you know the kleshas i'm getting to live the kleshas okay fine um and that was a really i i don't um wish that it had happened any other way
0: mm.
1: because i needed that upgrade
0: yep yeah, I'm sure in the moment it was,
1: <laughs> it was. Oh, it was excruciatingly painful until I realized what was happening. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, let me be in the Leela now. Mm. Let me be in the Leela and let me watch and let me experience. And it ha- it took on a completely different tone.
0: Let me be in the Leela. That's going on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In the play for those who...
2: Yeah, Leela means play, Mm -hmm. divine play. Um, It makes, when you say that, it makes me excited of like,
1: yeah, Leela, let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, I'm here for it. That's why I incarnated on this planet, I think, at this time to have those experiences.
0: That that it just shows how powerful this knowledge is that, that you were able to, through the knowledge, suddenly dissolve all the angsty feelings around it and use it as power, right? Use it as, as jet fuel for where you were going. Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful to all of the teachers um, that have shared their wisdom and the understanding of their teachings with me over the years, because I would not have had the foundation of understanding just one little pin drop enough to make me go back and
0: reflect Mm -hmm. yeah thank you tracy so much this book has been so moving to both of us and i'm sure in another month it will be an incredible awakening for so many people who get who have the privilege of getting to read it Um, um
2: i have just a question you're also having it on audiobook are you are you going to read it?
1: Yeah, so as far as I know, the audiobook and the book are coming out at the same time. So mm-hmm. I've already recorded the audiobook. The book, when you buy the book, um, there'll be a link inside the book to eight downloadable practices. And if you buy the book before it comes out on October 10th, so during the pre-order stage, there's a four-week book club live with me where we take a deep dive into the practices, specifically some of the practices that are not recorded that I really wanted to hold a container for. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking about the audiobook. That's very exciting. I'm
2: I love audiobooks. Um, and just listening to you read it, can't even imagine what that's gonna be like.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> we actually have a discount. Code which we'll put in the show notes.
1: So awesome, yeah. Thirty percent off, I think, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a big, it's a big, it's a big discount. So, um yes. Yeah, so everyone needs this book. <laughs> it's it's going to go right next to your other one on my shelf in a place of, of privilege. Thank you so hmm. much, Tracy, for sharing your wisdom with us today. It was beautiful. Thank you
1: so much, Kristen, and it's Thank you really so much. Appreciate it.
2: Thank Hopefully, you we'll see each other in Santa Fe.
1: I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. It would be great to see you both. Thank you again.
2: Thank you.